good morning to all who have joined us in worship on today. Whether you're on YouTube or Facebook, that means you're still alive, and we are so very grateful for that. To all who have come before me in the worship service, I thank you and greet you in the name of Jesus. And we thank God for the presence of his Holy Spirit that binds us together across zip codes, across cities, and across states, and even across countries as we continue to be the church away from the building, continue to be the church away from the building. I want you to join me in the book of Luke this morning, chapter four, Luke chapter four. We're going to start at verse 14, Luke chapter four, verse 14. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the spirit, returned to Galilee. A report about him spread throughout the surrounding country, and he began to teach in their synagogue and was praised by everyone. And when he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And as was his custom, he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Between charity and social justice, between charity and social justice, Today, across the world, Christians celebrate Pentecost, that time that commemorates that after the resurrection and before his ascension, Jesus gave instructions to his disciples to stay in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And here in Luke chapter four, Jesus is beginning his public ministry and the writer notes that Jesus is filled with the power of the Spirit and he stands to read in the synagogue. Hear these words, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Just as the first century church in the book of Acts needed the Holy Spirit before it officially began its mission, Jesus needed the Holy Spirit uh, as he began his earthly ministry. And today we still need the power of the Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to compel us to do this work that God has trusted us to do as the church of Jesus Christ. And so if you're looking for your first point, there it was, we need the power of the spirit, the presence and the power of the spirit to do this work. And as we look at our passage today in Luke chapter four, here the spirit is characterized as compelling the object to take some action. And so not only does the spirit empower us, she compels us to do certain actions. And so before we rush back into the sanctuary and enter the monotony of Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, we need to take a moment to determine what the spirit of the Lord is compelling us to do. 
How can we do church differently, not just to be different, but to be more effective in the age that we are called to serve? How can we do this? What has the spirit of God spoken to us during our time as being in the church away from the building? Church away from the building. What are we being compelled to do? I want to be compelled by the spirit of God more than I am compelled by the CDC. As a pastor, I want to be compelled by the spirit of God more than I am compelled by the voice of a member. I am compelled to do church that is expedient for the kingdom of God and to serve this present age. And what does that look like in our current context um, living and being the church amidst of a global pandemic, serving an age where technology is taken off and has allowed us to stay connected. It is a church that blends technology in a way that reaches the masses. It is a church that not only has reach, but it's reach at depth. And a church that not only does charity, but seeks to do justice. So today I want to start by breaking down this one passage and we will return to it on next Sunday. But I want to spend some time digging in this text so that you don't do what other people have done in, in grave error. Over spiritualize this text, over spiritualize this text. And what I want to say here in Luke chapter four, when Jesus says the word poor here. He's just not talking about the poor in spirit. When he says the word blind, he's not talking about those that are just spiritually blind. When he talks about those that are captive, he's not talking about just those that are bound by some type of spiritual chains or bound by some type of spiritual warfare. When he speaks of the poor, he is speaking of the economically and financially poor. When he speaks of the oppressed, he's talking about those who endure oppression by unjust social structures, whether that be a system, an empire, or an unjust communal act or practice, how can I be sure? How can you be sure, Pastor Eva? Jesus lifted this passage from the Old Testament text, Isaiah 61, when Isaiah had a vision about the kingdom of God. Isaiah was writing about, the, the, the vision was about how the kingdom of God and what would happen for these children of God who were in captivity, who were oppressed. Oppressed, not just spiritually, but oppressed. And when Isaiah talks about it, he's not using a metaphor. And so when Jesus lifts it up in Luke chapter four, Jesus is not lifting a metaphor. Jesus is speaking about the physical realities of the poor, the downtrodden and the marginalized. Then he turns around and says today that this passage, that this scripture has is fulfilled in your hearing. Isaiah was prophesying a vision about God's kingdom, what the kingdom of God would look like, what salvation really meant for the Israelites. And Jesus quotes Isaiah and then self-identifies himself with the prophecy of Isaiah as Messiah. If the church 
is going to be representative of the kingdom of God to usher in the principles of the kingdom. We cannot overlook Luke chapter four and how Jesus connects it in the beginning of his public ministry. Many of us began the mission of the church and we look at the great commission where it says, go ye therefore into all the world, preach my gospel and teach them everything I have commanded you. And I am with you always, but teaching them everything I have commanded you also includes Luke chapter four. And the point that is made by me that I'm making this morning is that salvation encompasses more than just your spiritual reality, but also your physical reality. And it deals with the whole of a person. What I mean is that God does not just care that you're free uh, from this certain type of sin, your personal life, that you don't lie no more, that you don't cheat no more, but he also cares that you are well taken care of, that you have what you need to live in this physical realm. And so God does care about the financially and economically poor, and we should as well not just care about them, but defend their rights. You know, we, we just came off the heels of Mother Day. Mother's Day, everybody, Proverbs 31, everybody buying their mother's cards. I saw, saw somebody tell my mama she was a Proverbs 31 woman. But if you go up before it starts giving all of these details for the model woman, right before it starts that rhetoric, it talks about speaking up for the poor and the needy and to defend the rights of the poor and the needy. So not only should I care about the poor and the needy, but I should also defend their rights, seek to overturn any unjust structure that has put them in a place to be poor in the first place. Uh, listen, follow me, follow me. Salvation encompasses both spiritual and physical realities in that salvation deals with the whole of a person. And so second point today is going to come out of this question, what is the spirit of God? compelling us to do as a church? What is the spirit of God compelling us to do as a church? And so the second point is that we must reconsider how we do outreach. The answer to that question, I can tell you what the spirit of God is compelling us to do. So reconsider how we do outreach. <clears throat> I can hear some of you now saying we do outreach very well. Yes. Like many churches, we have done charity well. We have done the charity component of outreach well, but we have not done justice well. What does the Lord require of you to do justice? To do justice? We have not done justice well. We've donated some items, some of us, to a few kids you've never seen. We supported tornado victims. We've shown up to feed the homeless in parks, but it is time for us to go a step further, to move from charity to doing justice work. We can do both, charity and justice work, work. So what's the difference? I hear the question, what's the difference? Charity is about meeting immediate needs, it's kind of like stopping the bleeding, so to speak. But justice requires you to engage in a way that goes for the root cause, that you start doing root cause analysis and trying to fix and change and transform whatever it is that created that need. Charity would be just feeding the poor, justice would be defending their rights and targeting system, systemic issues and communal practices that made them poor in the first place. And so the best example I can give you to explain what's the difference between 
illustration between charity and social justice. Let's say that we are somewhere um, and somebody come and comes and grabs Christine and said, Christine, there are babies in the rivers. Yolanda, there are babies in the river. I need you to help me get these babies out of the river. And by all means, Christine and Yolanda start grabbing these babies and taking them to safety. But then they stop after grabbing about 20 babies and getting them out of the river and began to question, how are these babies getting in the river in the first place? And so they run upstream to see if they can stop the babies from getting put in the river while one stays and says, I'm gonna get the babies out of the river, but one is going and being curious to see who is putting the babies. How are the babies getting in the river? The one getting them out, that's charity. The one going upstream, that's justice work. Justice work is upstream work. Upstream work takes curiosity and it takes a different type of engagement. It takes a different type of energy. The great South African theologian and activist Bishop Desmond Tutu says, there comes a point where we need to stop pulling people out of the river and we need to go upstream and find out how and why they are falling into the river. Upstream work takes a different level of commitment. It requires empowerment and sensitivity to the Holy Spirit to understand what you are being compelled to do. And not only that, does it require sensitivity to God, requires sensitivity to the conditions of those who sit on the margins of society. God is calling us to put skin in the game and to reimagine what outreach looks like for our church family. To move beyond just charity to actually engaging in the work of justice. God is not asking us to reinvent the wheel. God is asking us to reimagine outreach. There are several organizations around us, nonprofits and charitable organizations that are doing this very work. And how do we engage with them beyond just throwing our finances and supplies in their direction and actually engaging? beyond charity. This year, we have an outreach director, a well-capable one. And as we pray about as a church family, what the spirit of God is compelling us to do in this area, I want you to think about how you can be of service um, in the area of outreach at our church. Um, I know that you understand that church is more than about Sunday morning. And there's times when work go goes on that we are being the church and you don't get to see it. You're not able to see sometimes how we are able to help those in needs when we're counseling people. You don't get to see that, but the work of the church is happening.